Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. At Capella University, you'll get support from people who care about your success. From before you enroll to after you graduate, pursue your goals knowing help is available when you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Welcome to the Diversity Remix, busting the echo chambers of culture, politics, and business. I'm Charlie Echeverry. And I'm Jesus Chavez. So there's a lot of things we're going to get through the show today, but there's a lot of things we're not going to get to. We've got a really cool uh, interview with Gil Perez-Abraham, actor from the Batman movie, which comes out tomorrow, yes, right? Tomorrow, in terms of the people who are listening to the show. And then, uh, but there's things we're not going to get to, like Katanji Brown-Jackson, U.S. Supreme Court nominee. We got the situation in, Cur- in Ukraine. There's like, did you see that huge convoy? It's like an 18-mile-long did, convoy yeah. that's heading towards Kiev. Among the things we won't get a chance to cover going yeah, on in the world. So, uh, on that whole thing in Ukraine, there's so many just developing parts of that story, right? What's happening there. It's super sad. You know, you've, you're seeing more examples of... Uh, bombing in residential areas, you know, super, super sad. They showed a video of a little girl. Did you see the video of the little girl? I saw it. I couldn't watch it. I it's, didn't actually see the video because I couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't pretty, do it. it was pretty. I, I, I watched it. It was. Yeah, uh, I couldn't do it. I, I saw the the piece of content that had it. They were talking about. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, they were really trying. Obviously, we're trying to save her, but yeah. But the fact that she was even in that situation just kind of takes this thing to another level. It's amazing how galvanizing singular images can be. Oh, yeah. We've talked about in the past, you know, historically, the Vietnam picture, the little girls, the little Vietnamese girls who were naked, that one Shaolin monk who immolated himself, set himself on fire. Yeah, like all, for sure. Like that to me is one of those moments. I mean, look, already you got the whole world against this guy, but like it's, well, it's I mean, a you think about different it, level. Changing public uh, opinion and discourse. I mean, first of all, like even the, the president of Ukraine, I mean, his his like videos that he's put out have been really powerful. Yeah. You know, I was re- I was watching one this I just, morning. I just think how he looks like he's a guy like just got out of Starbucks. You know what I mean? He's like all casual. He's just running yeah, around the city. but the dude's like, you know, it's like, you know, what was the response to the U.S. when they were trying to get him out of there? Like, hey, don't sell me a ride. Send me weapons. Badass. Like that, yeah. yeah. And I think everyone is kind of responding to that, right? And, and yeah, he looks like a. That's in part. That's probably what makes it like even more powerful. Like, he looks like a regular guy that is just in a situation. And he kind of is a regular up. guy. I mean, he was a comedian that ran for president and won. And um, yeah. And there was a. He was giving a speech and he was talking about this this Freedom Square that just got bombed and the interpreter was was interpreting in English and and, and the guy's getting choked up yeah. as he's interpreting. Yeah. Um. But that's a serious situation, and it is amazing the response. Frankly, even like I've been pretty surprised how galvanized the world has been yeah. in like stepping up. Yeah. Um, because even when we talk about sanctions and all that, you know, frankly, I have a very like, well, okay, sanctions, yeah, so do like I. whatever. But they're going after at least it seems like everything at this point. You know, just like really cut them off airspace, swift transactions. You can't even like transfer money from one to the like, and that's freezing the, World Bank. Yeah, that's the newer, that's the I big mean, new one. You're doing, the they're swift. doing a lot to try to 
put as much pain as possible. The sad thing, of course, for the Russian people of is course, that they're, they're going to get hammered. Well, with they all already this. have. Like the, inf- the interest rate is up like twenty five. It went from nine percent to twenty something percent, and like thing, overnight. Yeah, that's right. One thing I heard is that they were saying like you know in the past when 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 people from a country gets hammered a lot, it becomes a galvanizing moment for those dictators to blame you know blame the other side. And while in most cases I would agree with that, I, I don't know if with social media, et cetera, if, they, if, if it could be done the same way mm-hmm. because there's been so much coverage and press around how Russia has really just unnecessarily escalated a lot of these things. And even though there's a lot of false stories being put out there, I just don't think it's going to be, you know, I hope that some of that can get, you know, some of that misinformation can get, um, uh, you know, combated with a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, and, and Russia people seeing, you know, what's the, what these are the effects of their leader um, yeah, the other, the other thing is the the unpredictability of, of Putin in the sense that even people who know him well are going like, something's different about this guy, right? He's yeah. definitely different. The calculus has changed. And maybe it's a legacy issue, maybe whatever it is. But that yeah. adds to an already pretty dicey situation. Well, this is going to be, look, a big theme uh, for tonight because we're recording this on Tuesday, March 1st when um, – you know, President Biden is going to be giving his State of the Union address, so we thought that would be a great uh, first topic to start with. So yeah, should, we, should we get going on Courage or Cringe? We should. In fact, just uh, just as a quick announcement, and by the way, I'm going to set the uh, State of the Union address. Uh, I'm going to record it so I can put it on right around 10 p.m. when I need to get some shut-eye, and I'll t- do that instead of melatonin. But in any case, um, we're going to flip the script a little bit. We're going to start with Courage or Cringe. We've got Gil uh, Perez-Abraham, actor from the Batman movie, coming out this week. we got him waiting in the wings. We're going to bring him in at the end. So we're going to start with Courage or Cringe, get through that, and then welcome aboard uh, Gil Perez. Great movie, by the way. You got a chance to see it. So Yeah, uh, it's, it's, a really, it's a really good movie. Uh, I've started to see some of the reviews come out. Uh, so it's always interesting because um, this for me, frankly, is one of the first time where I got to see a review. I'm sorry, see the film first before the reviews kind of came out. Yeah, I got treated and like even, a real even, life and, uh, critic. Exactly, there, right? And even when, you know, you kind of ignore reviews, but you kind of see what's already kind of like the the narrative out there. Sure. It's interesting when I'm now reading some of the reviews versus what I thought of the film, right? Um, and I think I told you, right? My thoughts on the film is that I thought it was it was really a fresh take, a really dark take, but a fresh take on Batman and the character. And I was pleasantly surprised how well, even you know, because I wasn't a little concerned about the Robert Pattinson, the the, the main guy that plays it. Uh, but it is a pretty fresh take, so I, I really enjoyed the movie. Awesome. Um, and Gil, I think he did a he did a great job in the film. We're as well, not, so we'll, we'll talk to him about we're it. We're not going to give any spoilers, obviously, when we talk to him because the the film isn't out yet. But everybody should bear in mind that it is coming out uh, this Friday, in fact, um, and they should go check it out. But anyway, why don't we get started? Let's play Courage or Cringe. So Congress drops mass mandate just ahead of Biden's State of the Union address. Nice. Nice. Great timing, right? So tonight. It's a coincidence. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as we mentioned, you know, President Biden will be giving his State of the Union address where he's expected to talk about Russia, I think, quite a bit, which we were just sure. talking about. The infl- inflation in, in our current state of the pandemic, right? They're kind of related. I'm, I'm, uh, These are all, know, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, you're right. They're all, they're all related, um, especially the inflation in Russia. I guess the three, the three of them. For sure. Uh, honestly, the three of them are super related. So by the time all of you, you know, hear this episode, uh, hopefully on Thursday, you know, his speech order had already you know, occurred. And I was thinking about this, how to say this, but no matter what, no matter what he says, is either going to be a huge win, according to Democrats, or a huge miss, according to Republicans? Mm. It does literally does not matter what he says. I only want to hear from people who thought it was mediocre. That's, <laughs> exactly. that's my goal. But, you know, one thing that we mentioned you know, that will be different is that masks will no longer be required, at least not for now, right? 
So by this, the way, just a quick thing. I saw him. I saw a video of him getting off of Marine One, which is the helicopter mm-hmm. that he uses to get back and forth from the from the mm-hmm. Oval Office. And he walks out of the of you know Marine One with his mask on and salutes a soldier without his mask on. <laughs> They're like really right right next to each other. And I'm going yep. like. If you know, in terms of the consistency of the visual, right? You've right. got him saluting the guy who's holding the gun without a mask, but he's like right next to him. Thought that was interesting. Yeah. Well, I mean, this kind of speaks to what the guidance that they, they keep on saying, right? Which is at this point is no longer required, but if it's an optional, if you want to still wear it, you wear it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in any case, um, so on Sunday, the U.S. Capitol's attending physician lifted the mask mandate that mandate for lawmakers inside the House chamber, right? Mm. Now, this is something, as I think we've talked about this in this, you know, in this previous episodes before, something that many Republicans have been pushing for, right? Uh, so being pretty vocal about that. And the interesting thing, it does come just two weeks after the Capitol physician had warned that everyone had to wear KN95 um, or N95 masks uh, for the address or risk being either fined or removed, right? So they had like a pretty aggressive stance of like two weeks later, ah, we're okay. And it also means that all 535 members of Congress are being invited to attend uh, Biden's address versus last year that only allowed 200 members mm-hmm. to show up due to some of the, obviously, COVID-19 policy they had at the time. Now, they are still requiring that everyone attending be COVID tested at least one day before the speech, mm-hmm. right? Something to which there's already chatter from a number of Republicans who have said, they either A, they're too busy or they don't get, you know, they only get tested if they're sick. Uh, so it's unclear how many of those those folks are even going to show up or, uh, or for yeah. the address. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think it was Mark Ruby, one of of the guys that got quoted, a couple of the folks that got quoted as well. Right. So so the why now is part of the question. Right. Now, according to the Capitol physician, Brian Monahan, he said Washington, D.C. region is now in the green level or low level in this new CDC schema showing the for reduction in coronavirus prevention measures such as as coronavirus testing, frequency and indoor mask wear. Does it say when that actual green status happened? I don't know when it happened. Now, in terms of the rates, so this may be part of it, uh, COVID-19 test rates at the Capitol are down to 2.7% mm. in the last two weeks, which is below the current rate for the for the D.C. metro area of 4.7%. So it's actually better in that or it's relatively better. Right. better. Yeah, yeah. 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 It means less people are, are, are testing positive, right. basically, right? right? And it's... And I always – I thought I remember it being like 5%, the number that, that was brought up before. But honestly, that hasn't come up in such a long time that I don't remember. Now, when that happened, but this last two weeks, so within that, when you went into the green stage, et cetera. Sure. Now, also, the CDC, as we've been hearing, has been putting out a lot of new guidance on mask wearing. Right? I think the last one that I heard was basically easing restrictions on most indoor mask wearing unless you're in a place in a city with high, high hosp- infection rate, yeah. high hospitalization rates. And not just infection rates. Right? That's the difference, yeah. right? And it that was, was on before. Friday last week, right? That yeah, that so yeah. it was before infection rates. And they're like, well, since we're seeing things like with the last – with o- o- Omicron – that is not just people infected, but who actually showing up in the hospital, then let's look at hospitalization rates, right? That's sort of the driver. Um, this is also in addition to, as we've seen, including in California, many states, um, including left-leaning ones, who have been reducing mass mandates or letting them expire, maybe a better way to put it. Yeah. Uh, one of the more recent ones here in L.A. County is that I think starting March, maybe March 11th, they're going to – I'll remove the mandate for even in schools having to wear masks. Yeah, so, for the whole state. But San Francisco is not going to abide by it. They're going to continue. Yeah, so they had – all California had done it. Uh, and I think San Francisco and L.A. County were, were still – the holdouts. Were the holdouts. L.A. County just announced that even for L.A. County, they were removing it. Um, and even including the schools. Right? right. I think I think it's March 11th is when that's March something maybe. You can't really get a good. Weeks. You can't really get a good tan with the mask on. That's the issue. That's that is the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can't eat, you know drink your uh, your vegan kombucha. lattes uh, kombucha. But well, I love kombucha. So I know. I know you do. That's why I said that. 
Uh, but of course, there are many who are doubting the timing of all of this. What? Mm. Is it just all pure coincidence? Um, and frankly, arguing that the Biden administration has influenced these decisions to score some political points, mm. right? The, to show that we're actually moving on or, or moving past this pandemic, right? So, any case, a lot there. Courage or cringe. Easing of mass restrictions is uh, following the science and showing that we are starting to recover from this pandemic. Or just like everything else about this pandemic, it's all about the politics. I read a quote on this that said the political science hasn't changed as much as I'm sorry, the, the medical science hasn't changed as much as the political science has, right? <laughs> um, and and look, I think like with many things, this is probably a little bit in the middle in terms of what's really going yeah, on. Probably, yeah. I think that that one stat that you mentioned a moment ago, though, the 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 emphasis on. Um, uh, Test rates. In, well, infection rate, and then now really emphasis on hospitalization rate. Yeah. There's some people who have argued from the beginning that we should be more focused should on- Should have been that to begin with. Yeah. yeah. Well, because, I mean, it, like we really are worried about vulnerable people. We should be focused on them, right? So that, right. that should be the emphasis. And that but, always seemed to be the concern, right? Is like, if you remember even like the, you know, the Cuomo days back in New York. Sure. Right? They, even the whole idea of setting up these temporary hospitals because of, of hospitals being overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, that seemed to be the bigger driver, even though to the point before it was really- they were attaching that metric to infections yeah. rather than, or people testing positive, yeah, I guess infections, this rather is, than those being hospitalized. This is another one like we did last week, you know, the, the courage or cringe. Uh, so I'm courage on the decision. Okay. Um, just across the board. I think it's a mix of things. I think I'm happy that the, the mask mandates across the board are, are, are kind of being rescinded. Um, so I'm not unhappy about that. There, there definitely is some political calculation in this. You know, even, sure. the, even the New York Times. The timing just helps. Of course. E- even the New York Times agrees that politicians move come amid a lot of shifting public perceptions about virus safety measures and to what extent they're needed, right? So because the basic science overall really hasn't changed, right? The quote that I saw in that New York Times piece is, is the simplest version of the science is that masks work and better masks work better, right? So, okay, great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. The, 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 the mask... Science hasn't changed. But the timing of this, look, I think if Biden came came on the scene, and this was being talked about a month ago, even longer, mm-hmm. about the State of the Union address, this would have been the moment to say, this is over. Like, in, a, in just like a summary fashion, of course, you can't just say that, but like basically give that note that like, we're now living with this, we're moving past this, let's move on to the future. Like, there are people saying, if you don't say that, based on how poorly he's polling, how poorly the party's polling, how much people have rebelled against, you know, these these right. these kind of things, right? Um, uh, you know, across the board, vo- here, here's another quote, right? Across the board, voters shared frustrations over public health measures, sure. a sense of pessimism about the future, a deep desire to return to a common sense of normalcy. And all this stuff has been building for two years. And I think so if he came out and didn't have this kind of moment, that would be an opportunity right. missed, let's just say, Right. So look, the reality with this particular variation of the COVID, uh, you know, vaccine is that you know this Omicron, not necessarily COVID across the board, but right. Omicron, is very similar to the flu. Right, many people that are hospitalized um, and who may be passing away, they have positive tests, but they might not necessarily be dying from COVID. And it's very important to protect the vulnerable. Like all of these things that frankly, a year ago might've been very difficult to say, and nevertheless happened to be more true in the case of Omicron. And you've got New Jersey doing this. You've got Connecticut doing it. You've got Delaware doing it, yeah, Oregon yeah. doing it, all these other folks yeah, doing yeah. it. So I feel like almost if he didn't do this, it'd be like even further That's why ammo. I have a, I have a hard time 
putting too much credence that it's all just timing politically yeah. for the unless you can say every other state also started doing this right. in preparation for the State of the Union, which yeah. I guess you could argue, but that's a lot harder to coordinate. It, it, it is. I mean, you start getting into a little bit of conspiracy synchronicity at that level. Right. Where it's like everybody's like, in on it except for you even know. the reported, you know, people yeah. testing positive. You can see massive drop. Like uh, we all been kind of working on this, so this be like the big aha moment. That's a little hard to to give that. To yeah, me. there's an old quote about like lo- lo- figures lying, liars figure, or something like that. You've, I don't know if you've ever heard that expression, but you can always find a, t- a statistic to kind of match your policy. But I think, look, like I said, I think this is somewhere in the middle. I do think that there's obviously this decreasing uh, infection load, decreasing hospitalization rate, lots of things they can look at and go, this is the reason why. But there's no question that there's just some, you know, we got to package this thing up the right way because oh, we're hurting. Lots right of now, packaging. For lots sure. Of packaging. I mean, look, from that perspective, frankly, even the Russia situation is, is going to, I think, give him a big lift. Yeah. Because. It depends, of course, how you look at it. And people that are against him are going to view it in a very different manner. But you can say he um, – the the position that the U.S. is taking about doing whatever it can to put financial strain on Russia, A, they're doing it. And B, there is a unified front. Now, you can say to what degree did the U.S. lead this. I think them doing it has a really big – has a very big sure. impact on whether the EU and everyone else is doing so. You can say, well – now the U- the U.S. is leading in this global charge to push back against Russia, so you have to give him some credit for that. And frankly, he needs any credit we can get get it from. And there's there's nothing like you know you know there's nothing like a like a common enemy to get people of united, course, right? Of course. So so in this wartime case, president, it um you know could you get maybe that's a good way to think about it. Could he have a lift of being a wartime president without actually getting into war? And if that's the case, it's frankly like it's what he went right. Sure. Um, not to minimize or to make it all political what's actually happening to people in Ukraine because obviously there's real life impact that's happening there. So I'm Courage on Congress dropping the mass mandate. Where are you? Uh, yeah, I'm Courage as well. I mean, it's funny to make fun of it. And I think the, the funny part to make fun of it is like how aggressive they were in their stance just a couple of weeks ago. I remember there was, a, there was like a fight that almost broke out in the elevator between these con- congressional people because yeah. one of them were wearing and the other one wasn't and they were like – yeah, but they're freaking but, out. Right, and a week I, ago, and I get that, but at the same time, we shouldn't let what's happening a week ago. If we're going to change policy and be like, "Hey, we're going to turn the page," and let's turn the page. I'd rather just turn the page and move forward than sit here and squabble about. Well, yeah, but two weeks ago, that wasn't the page that we were on, right? Right. So therefore, let's move on. So yeah, I'm courageous. Well. I know you're among the twelve or thirteen people that still watch SNL. Did you see the skit? Yes. Did you see the skit that? Uh, that was that was out last weekend about this whole mass thing. No, it no. was hysterical. I watched it. Oh, oh I haven't seen that. No, it, no, no, it's no. basically them sitting around a dinner table, and the, the one woman was like, starts talking about. Like, oh well, yeah, 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 yeah. I see that. Yeah, and they're like, don't, don't say it. Don't look. comfortable COVID conversation. Yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like all the lights go dim, and but, they're. But that is, I mean, I was literally in a conversation like that last week, like exactly that kind of discussion, and. The thing is about it is like I I can be pretty open and reasonable to hear other perspectives, but then how that turns into conspiracy theory really really, really quickly. Fast. And I was I'm looking at this dude, and and this was in the context thing that I was sharing with you before about some of the stuff that's happening in Ukraine. So I'm, this is not the time and moment to push back on someone that has a lot more serious stuff going on. Yeah, they have a but, lot. Of- but it, but it, but it went from. Yeah, I have uh, questions. I always kind of have questions. Like, I get it. you got a lot of questions, or like how you know this thing has all changed. I get it. This is a lot of politicized. I get it. But that turned into conspiracy like that, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh, okay, I'm out. Like, can I get another drink here? Right. <laughs> check, please. <laughs> yeah, check, please. Yeah, I'm out. But, it can. Yeah. It can. Yeah, 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 yeah. Contentious issue. All right, cool. Start cool. off well. What's next? All right, uh, courage or cringe? Facebook censors Babylon B. 
post on trans identified Jeopardy champion as hate speech. The Babylon Bee. Are you were you familiar with this before this piece? No, but I've, been, I've known him for for a while. Oh really? Yeah. I I was I've been looking at their content and I am cracking up. It's some of their funny as all get hilarious. Out. Yeah. So it's the, like Mad TV back in the day, like really old Mad TV. Well, I mean, to me, the kind of how to describe it. Like the Babylon Bee is a Christian satire site. I, I see it like the Onion. Maybe it's like the Onion. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's with, even better. With, that's with, even better with Christian, you yeah. know, tones. But it's not at all Christian. The reality, right? It has, it has a little bit. It has a conservative lens to how they're looking at things. But it, it's pretty funny. Like they're, they're whoever works on their headlines is is pretty hilarious. Um, so look, I'm I'm a fan of look. I could I could think something's funny, and if I the the content, I don't necessarily always agree with it, but I appreciate the comedy of it. Uh, so they recently got in trouble with Facebook for what the social media giant flagged as hate speech, right? So what was the actual post in question? Well, it was a post with the headline, Trans Women Breaks Jeopardy Record, Proving Once and For All That Men Are Smarter Than Women. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it's just like, if you're going to get people pissed off like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Whoever wrote this, I'm like, oh, that's that's pretty good. Like, if you're going to like get people fired up about trans. And like, they're hitting all kinds of categories with this one sure. headline, right? Yeah. Transgender women, women in general, like, you know, misogyny and like everything is kind of hitting all in one. That's it's, one of the quotes that the it's CEO It's really had. well done. Yeah. One of the things the CEO said is like, we've actually never been accused of both misogyny and uh, this. And one is like, who's right, it's like right, right. celebratory, you know? Yeah. So, so the article was about former Jeopardy champion Amy Schneider. Uh, a trans-identified female mm-hmm. that uh, has passed the total amount of winnings that a biological female has earned on Jeopardy during her reign. So for the time that she's been a champion, she did better uh, in terms of how much money she was able to win than uh, any um, you know female that is basically uh, uh, during, during, the, during the same time. Mm-hmm. right? Well, Facebook didn't seem to appreciate that humor right, <laughs> and flagged the content as going against their community standards on hate speech. So they were mm-hmm. actually really specific about this, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Now, to which, though, to your point, the Babylon's B CEO, Seth Dillon, responded first on Twitter, said Facebook just removed one of, of the Babylon B's posts for hate speech, adding in a follow-up comment that he was proud of this and that it's not often we manage to get transphobia and misogyny into one headline. Itself a headline. Maybe yeah, he's the he, one who's writing the headlines. Maybe. Uh, a letter, later in a statement, he said, remember how Facebook recently rolled out new rules stipulating that real satire cannot punch down? Are they really willing to say that defending women against a male takeover or their records is punching down and even worse, hate speech? We're going to find out. So now now he turned it from what was satire to now like a real political kind of position that he's taking right? Sure. the CEO. Mm-hmm. Now, regarding the Facebook policy, here's how it kind of defines hate speech, right? So it, it defines it as a direct attack against people yeah. rather than concepts or institutions yep. on the basis of what is, what are called protected characteristics, right? That includes a bunch of stuff, race, ethnicity, National origin, disability, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity, all of these things, right? And they say, we define attacks as violent or dehumanizing speech, harmful stereotypes, statements of inferiority, expressions of contempt, disgust, and dismissal, cursing, and calls for exclusion or segregation. So, Charlie Echeverry. Yes. So, Courage or I've Cringe, heard of Facebook, the defender of the vulnerable, or Facebook, the censor, or telling of what's right wrong or even funny this is an issue of definitions my friend so i'm a cringe on this um the the facebook's action is that what we're doing or not mm-hmm. facebook's action so i'm a cringe on it yeah facebook action yeah, yeah so y- you know here you've got facebook who says that their policy is against to your what you just read making right. attacks against people rather than concepts or institutions right. and you know i think of I, we could very fi- well find instances where complaints against concepts or institutions maybe like 
Black Lives Matter or whatever were not enforced to that standard or support or support for concepts and institutions like maybe mass mandates or trucker protests or whatever that haven't either. But here's where Facebook is right. Where Facebook is right is that their policy clearly talks about the fact that they look at this when it's a post about a person, right? right? right. A specific person, which mm-hmm. is exactly what the post was in this particular case, right? And the Babylon Bee doesn't even address that, doesn't address the fact that like they're being called out not on having an opinion or making jokes or whatever, but the fact that they aim this at a given individual, right? Right, right, right. And you know, and you could argue whether or not they even need to address that, but that's where Facebook is being true to their policy. Where they're wrong, in my opinion, is that they're not considering the actual nature of the content itself. Right? This mm-hmm. is clearly satirical. Right. This, and which, by the way, last time I checked, comedy and satire can be in very bad taste. But that can't be the point. Like the, the point can't be bad taste, right? Otherwise, we have a lot of pulling right. down that we need to do, right? So. Uh, across the board, there's a little bit of truth in both of these things. I, I kind of like the cons uh, to the extent I like anything Facebook does. I kind of like the idea of focusing this on people because mm-hmm. it really is should be at the end of the day around people, whether or not they're you know abused or attacked or bo- or doxed or whatever it may be. But where they just run afoul of even themselves and really any kind of reasonable management of things is that the fact that we're talking about a clearly well-known satirical thing. This is not one of those right. things where people think they might be reading something true and then suddenly – you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it's an, that was for me the deciding factor here is like can someone read this and see that as straight fact? You, I mean that could always happen, right? But the second you look at the site, you realize because they're very consistent. This whole thing is satire. Every single headline is a, is a punchline, is a joke. I guess someone technically could look at it and think of it all as being true, but it, it, I mean, you have to be pretty, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so for now, so I, I feel I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I understand the position of why potentially Facebook has done this, um, but I don't agree with the fact that it completely neglects like what the brand is, the kind of content that it creates, and the fact that they are consistent. This is not a case where someone says something dumb and then turns around and says, no, 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 it was a joke. Well, was it really a joke or were you just being racist or you were just being transphobic? Right. In this case, at least you can say about these guys, the Babylon Bee, is that all their content has the same kind of tone. They're a very consistent brand sure. in terms of what they are. And that should matter, right? Because otherwise, it's like there is no context to, to, the, to the words people are saying, uh, which is why I'm, I'm on the same same page with you. I thought it was it was cringe for Facebook to actually take this content down. And some of these headlines, by the way, are hilarious. Like, Give me yeah, a couple. It's the one like Biden practices saying the state of the union is strong in the mirror with a straight face. And there's a picture of Biden <laughs> looking at himself. <laughs> it's like, and there's like other one. Um, uh, there's there's so there's like there was one that was like funny about company launches like a um, social protest kit where you can even burn your own house. Like it has like a little toy house that you can burn it. That's <laughs> Protested a bag. Yeah, it was like, bag, I, I was yeah. trying to find it because I thought it was so funny how they how they had it. Yeah, uh, but it was like yeah, like like peaceful protest where you could burn your own building, something like that, right? Do you do you think that, was, do you think that Facebook or anybody else who's on maybe the courage side of this would be able to say, well, you know, look, uh, brands sometimes change their orientation over time. Like you could even make yeah, the yeah, case, sure. you could even say, look at CNN in the 80s was like very straight journalism. Now it's very opinion, yeah. right? So could somebody make the case like, we don't know, these guys could be changing their tone or yeah, something I like guess, that. I guess you can say that. And look, and there's plenty of cases where we have seen where people respond to the onion uh, all fired up because they That's think true. it's true, yeah. right? So so there is that element of it. I just think that this in this specific case, when you do look at their content, they're pretty consistent, man. Like all of it has humor. All of it seems to be satire. 
I think that stuff matters. Um, and I, I get, I get in this case why maybe like that's the kind of thing you could maybe warn someone about. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. There has to be a, a way to address that, but because I would hate to see these kind of publications, including the Onion, to not be able to publish their content yeah. because it immediately kind of falls into this other category where obviously that is not the intent. Now, do I think that the CEO has views and positions that I completely disagree with, and that he maybe he himself views things? Of course, yeah. I mean, it's probably but that's the not, whole genesis that's not what this of the thing is. Yeah. yeah, it's probably the whole genesis of the site is some on some level to use satire and comedy to to provide political commentary. I'm sure on some right, level that right, is right, it. Right, right, exactly. But even that doesn't invalidate the point. That's right, right. So uh, that's why I think we we need to. It, it kind of goes back to the point of of using Facebook as the the arbiter of what's. You know what's right, what's wrong, and what's funny. I think the the way to think about those that is different, and you brought it up. I have a hard time believing that someone that reads this and especially they click into the article would actually see it as being straight reporting that this is like an actual you know piece of like legitimate news that someone should be following. Sure, and it's not written the whole thing. As I agree with you. Yeah, I think it's clearly satirical. So, anyways, so I think we're we're both uh, cringe on Facebook. Two for two. Two for two. All right, let's move on to number three. We can't keep uh, Hollywood actors waiting in the wings too long. They get very uh, temperamental. That's right. So let's go to three. Um, <laughs> let's do that. Uh, so, last courage to cringe. Martin Agency CEO is calling out Coinbase over its QR code Super Bowl ad. Um, so you, you know this happened happened now a few weeks ago. But remember that really odd Super Bowl commercial that just had a QR code just kind of floating around? Of course. Did you scan the, the QR code? I did. <laughs> I did. Yep. And we, the only reason I did is because my daughter made me do it. I'm like, I don't want to scan that. Oh, please, papa. I'm like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll do it. So not only did it cause a lot of conversation, it also had servers crashing. I don't remember hearing about this. No, I didn't. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So enough people like you and I did it that it crashed the servers. Because <laughs> uh, did I, was able, I was able to get through, but apparently not everyone was able to get through on the on the site. And now it's a new source of controversy as to where this originally, what this idea originally uh, came, came from. from yeah. You know? So shortly after the ad air, a spokesperson for Coinbase, which is a cryptocurrency exchange, credited the spot to Accenture Interactive, right? However, later in the day, Coinbase CEO went on like a Twitter rant. He put up like 11, 12 posts on Twitter, kind of giving like the whole background and history of how this Coinbase came According in. to him. According yeah. to him, right? <laughs> We'll find out how accurate that is. <laughs> and, you know, he covered a bunch of stuff. But basically the essence of what he said is like, one, that agencies, that they have gone to external agencies. They pitched them a bunch of ideas. They were all terrible. And But he actually makes some good points on some of that. Like, you know, when I see all, the, all these ideas that are just about popular people, like that doesn't mean that it actually works. And that he, part, I agree with And him. he is right that that was the theme of this that year's the, uh, the theme, Super Bowl right? spots was celebrity, not creativity. But then he talked about how, you know, basically his team took this all in-house, innovated the oh, way into great yeah, creative, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah. Even makes the point of saying specifically that no agency could have done this ad, right? Like, Ouch. like throwing a throwing a massive rock. I'm sure that's the, the one that got the controversy brewing. Oh yeah. Um, uh, he did also credit some of this in part being inspired by Reddit Super Bowl commercial from the previous year, right? But anyways, from all this massive rant, well, the Martin Agency CEO Kristen Cavallos basically took exception to this. He couldn't, you know, put up with this, and she responded to his comment and clarified that it was actually her agency. That originally pitched the idea, and she would like point it to which slides her the idea actually was was presented. Unbelievable! Can which I is can, great. can I stop you for just a second though? Because because uh, <laughs> just okay, let's say you're the CEO of this agency. Do you like check that that tweet with your legal team before you do? Do you do anything, or you just go like you're? Well, the, it, when you I see that, so that's a really interesting thing. For, for those of you that may not be familiar, look, I think a lot of people that are listening to this, to this mm-hmm. podcast are probably familiar enough with with media marketing agencies. They know that that's like a really risky thing to it's do. It's a huge thing. You're Super kind of blackballing like, yourself I mean, because you know, lots of agencies, you know, you usually the orientation is to kind of sit there and take it. 
um, to basically be at the whims to whatever client wants, doesn't want, for them to take credit or not. And this happens a lot where agency pitch ideas that don't that don't get greenlit or even agency doesn't get the work. And then those ideas still kind of help influence, inspire, evolve in something else. Which right? is the reason why a lot of agencies refuse to actually pitch on spec. Like they That's won't right. actually come up with ideas unless you're paying them. Right, right. So they, so that's a very you know clear dynamic. I think in this case, the CEO was offended of because this guy was talking shit about agencies, about terrible ideas, kind of put it all on his team. And frankly, even when you see some of the commentary here, you know, this CEO, Brian Armstrong is his name, um, the CEO of, uh, of um, uh, what's the name of the Coinbase, I'm sorry. Coinbase. Is that it kind of, he makes it sound like... Like it's part of this allure of like, oh, we're a startup. We of innovate our we, way into fucking everything. Yeah, we and, just put and, a hackathon together and we yeah, come up with that we, campaign we in ha- five minutes on a napkin. The whole thing. Yeah, that's a great way to think of it. We hacked the whole thing and, and, and beat these guys. Of course. Guys. So she responds to this and said, like, it was actually inspired by a presentation. Our agency showed your team on 818, <laughs> the date, pages 19 through 24, and on 107, pages 11 through 18. Wow. With ad concepts for Super Bowl with floating QR codes on a blank screen. <laughs> How awesome that's is that, right? That sure. is that's super ballsy, right? Yeah. So you know, in terms of why she called him out, you know, she basically says because his disregard towards agency is unwarranted and unfair. To which she added, too often the burden is on the agency's shoulders to be brave, flexible, ambitious. As an industry, we need to demand better. Clients think about advertising ten percent of their day. We think about it hundred percent. We study what works and why. Right? Yeah. So if we want to be respected as an industry, we need clients who respect marketing. Respect the role of the agency, gives us a seat at the table, and let us do our jobs. Right? Translation, we didn't win your business, and I don't care if we ever get it again because there's no chance. Well, that's what happened, right? So, Because when you look into what the story actually is, is that a new CEO, a new CMO came in, right? And when she came in, she basically changed uh, the agency record, which was the, the Martin agency. So they got booted. I'm sure they were still trying to pitch the business, right? Um, and they didn't get it. They were the incumbent. And as a matter of fact, to this point, even the Coinbase CMO said – Responding to her directly to her comments, she said, "Like the Coinbase team and I deeply value our partners. The fit with our creative partner, Accenture Interactive, was seamless. So much so to the extent that our CEO actually thought we were a single team when presenting work." Wow! So talk yeah. about spin machine, spin cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as I mentioned, so they they looked like when she came in, uh, uh, Martin Agency was longer the, the AOR, but it's still super risky. I mean, mm. think about it, right? Because mm. Agencies calling out clients in any kind of scenarios publicly like this is just something that is typically frowned upon. But she got a lot of support. A lot of people were in her back, of like calling it out. A lot of people were calling the the CEO of Coinbase as the emperor has no clothes, right? Trying to say how awesome they are. And sure. it turns out this whole idea came from somebody else. This was a big bridge burning move. There's so, no question about it. So, courage or cringe, tech companies showing marketers how to rethink marketing or how to hack your way into, into rethinking marketing Hackathon. or just. Tech CEO getting called out for stealing ideas and calling them their own. Ouch. Um, okay, so I'm a so, so courage or cringe on 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 the CMO. I'm sorry, CEO of a Martin Agency, right? Yeah, all caps cringe from me. Um, it's interesting that I don't know if you caught no, this. All cringe on on the CEO, the CEO of Coinbase. The CEO of Coinbase. Okay, got it. Got yeah, it, got yeah, it, got yeah. It, got so full okay, full on all caps cringe. It's interesting to me. I don't know if you caught this in the piece that Adweek named that Coinbase spot the best of this year's Super Bowl and mainstream viewers who all voted in the USA Today ad meter actually ranked it dead last. Oh yeah. It was Re- the worst. Really interesting, right? The, worst, the yeah. worst in terms of professionals, like, oh yeah, it was amazing, right? And then like what regular people thought was like, that was, was the terrible. dumbest thing I've ever yeah. seen, right? 
the irony in all this, Jesus, too, is because I, I, I do some thinking. You know, I'm always uh, there to surprise us. The other irony is the concept to begin with was actually stolen from the Office TV show. And I can prove it. I don't know if you remember this. That's There's it. this cube on the screen. It bounces around all day. And sometimes it looks like it's heading right into the corner of the screen. And then at the last minute, it hits a wall and bounces away. And we are all just dying to see it go right into the corner. Pam claims that she saw it one day when she was alone in the conference room. Okay. <laughs> I believe she thinks she saw it. I saw it. I I'll pause it there, but I don't, I don't know if you remember that episode where they're, yeah. Michael's talking and he has the blank TV screen behind him and the DVD logo is moving like it does right, when it's right. on pause and they're sitting there waiting for the DVD logo to go directly into the corner, right? So That's this idea of funny. a floating DVD, I'm telling you, on some level was the inspiration for well, this thing. And I'm sure it keeps you like engaged to see what's going to happen. For sure. But, but, but here's the thing. I think Coinbase definitely flubbed this. The CEO sitting, first of all, the line that like, oh, I thought the agent, we're so well integrated that I actually thought it was my team. Either you are not understanding the process that your CMO is taking to achieve, by the way, not just a regular spot. This is the Super Bowl spot. You would right. think the CEO would have a little bit better understanding of what's going on. And then the CMO of Coinbase is just totally playing cleanup, right? I mean, in terms of like, hey, you know, we value our agencies and all this other stuff. So I definitely think that if there's somebody who comes out of this not looking very good, it's definitely Coinbase, right? Sure. The broader point is there's no question the clients take credit for the work of their agencies. And frankly, some would even say that's the privilege of why they pay them, right? It's like, hey, you know what? I'm paying you so that I can claim some of these things as my own, right? I, I've seen, I don't know if, <laughs> I can't, I won't say the name, but when you and I were at Univision, we had somebody in marketing at a particular time in our, in our journey that literally presented, I remember one of the executive team meetings, the, the kind of marketing strategy and approach. Mm -hmm. And it still had the logo of the agency in the corner of every slide that they forgot to get rid of. And they were literally presenting it almost at the, as their right, own, right? right, right. So th I, I think it's it's a bad practice, right? And, and, and I don't agree with it, but it's nevertheless something that happens. The other thing is that all of this work between agencies and clients is collaborative to some degree, meaning that clients and agencies work together. And then the final execution has input from either one of them on some level. It's the insight that matters, right? It's like, what's right. that thing that we're building this kind of idea around? That can be original, but ideas are like a dime a dozen, and they kind of generally reflect a collaborative process. So on some level, I'm sure that what Coinbase is saying is true. There's probably a number of agencies. Their team internally did provide some feedback, sure. but I also believe the woman from... Um, from uh, what's it called? From uh, the Martin Agency. Martin Agency, yeah. Saying, look, we pitched you this idea. It was pretty much the same thing. And you ended up running with this or being inspired by it to run with it to slightly modify it. I think what, what really got her going. And that doesn't work. And because she even responded directly to the post where, because I think it was post 10 of this 12, 12, 12 post uh, uh, thread that he put. Mm -hmm. Where he ends that, that post, he says, no agency, no ad agency would have, would have done this ad. And she responded, except an ad agency did, that, uh, did, did do that ad, right? And it, I think it speaks to the CEO of, of, of Coinbase, the, like the kind of arrogance that people have many times. Mm. And I think especially, frankly, sometimes in the tech sector, the arrogance that you can – they're smarter than everyone else, can hack their way into anything. Uh, and, and really, in this case, yeah, we, it will take us 10 minutes to disrupt the entire industry. I'm just too busy to think about it. But if you give me 10 minutes, we'll just change that whole thing, right? And it's that kind of arrogance that people kind of be, believe their own BS – that I think this guy was is really portraying in this really long 
post that he put to describing how innovative they were. But to your point, I thought it was terrible. I frankly only did it because my daughter forced me to do it. Like, okay, fine. And because it, it you know, reminded me of, I was actually talking about this the other day with somebody. Mm. I remember when uh, we were at, uh, at Univision and we ha- I had a salesperson come to me super excited saying, hey, I just, this vendor just, just showed me this like super awesome interactive ad for our websites that gets like really massive click-through rates. I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, yeah can I have him just like present to you? I'm like, sure, let's look at it. So they showed me this demo and this this uh, sales guy, not only the sales guy, but this vendor were both like super excited. Oh, you're going to love, oh, you're gonna love you're gonna this. Love this. Click-through rates off, like off Game the chains, changer. right? And it was a uh, a um, an ad unit, right, that basically popped up. It was a person that literally walked out of the ad unit. <laughs> Walk to the middle of your page, starts banging on the on the glass, and it sounds like someone banging on the glass right in the middle of your page. Oh yeah, everybody to get loves your that. attention. Like, hey, click on me, <laughs> click on this, and I'm looking at this horrified, and they're super excited. Like, see, yeah, you're gonna, gonna click on it, right? Like, yeah, because I'm trying to throw my computer out the window because it's like, what the hell is this person just came out and and like jumped at me and, and banged on the thing? So just because something will get a lot of click throughs. Doesn't mean in my mind that it's a it's a good ad creative and and I put this this example of this QR code right in the same kind of kind of bucket as as that one. Um, right, are you interested in kind of finding out and click on it? I guess, and that's I mean it happened, but I I don't I agree with you. I can see why consumers will find it very annoying and distracting. I'm like, what the hell is this? My is my is my is my TV broken? Like, what's happening? My cable off? Like, I'm supposed to watch the Super Bowl? Like, what's happening here? Um, Especially in a, in a format like the Super Bowl, which is like wall to wall excitement, right? right? You've got right, this right. like weird uh, Zen meditation moment right in the middle for a minute. Yeah, I think that ad is high on gimmick, low on impact, right? Um, and yeah, gimmick high, gimmick, do you know gimmick high enough, and people will interact with it. Uh, but I don't think it's going to be memorable in the sense of actually creating any kind of real impact. Like remember, you know, I've talked about like what are some of the best Super Bowl commercials sure. in the past, and I still go back to that, and I always use the same example, that same Nike commercial with this kid. Running like running on this road, you yeah. know, like heavy set kid, and you hear him breathing, and the whole idea is about anyone could be, um, you know, an athlete, right? Kind of an athlete, in all of us, and it's like a super inspirational of watching this kid, super out of shape, but it's still doing it. Yeah, still working hard. Like that to me was like inspiring. I gave I gave uh, similar in one of the conversations I had with, uh, I forget when it was, but at some point in my career, we were talking about you know the importance of reach versus engagement, right, and real authentic engagement. And, you know, I said if it was all about reach, then, you know, we would just drop flyers from airplanes over over large metropolitan areas or put ads on the back of every public bathroom stall. You know what I mean? Right. As you go to flush the toilet, we can have your brand on the bottom of the porcelain. So as it's because we're, we're all looking down there to make sure it all went down. Right. It's like this this bias on like, let's just, you know, try to exploit the number of people that are here for the greatest possible gain. <laughs> But the results, I'm sure, even though they, they did claim a big uptick in the App Store rankings, mm-hmm. um, but I think a lot of that was people like you and me going, what the hell is this thing? And clicking right. it for our daughters. Right, exactly. I don't know how many people are going to be trading crypto as a result, but anyway. Yeah. All right, so that's three for three. Is that two shows in a row? Uh, we can't do that now. Yeah, I know. No, I don't think so. Was it no. last, last week? I don't, well? I don't remember. I don't remember. I hope not, because yeah. otherwise this is this is embarrassing. But still for different reasons. All right. Well, we're very excited then to bring our listening audience uh, this conversation with uh, Gil Perez Abraham, uh, actor, actually a new actor, Venezuelan um, Lebanese actor. Mm-hmm. Super interesting to hear his story and this new this new film, The Batman, coming up. So you want to you want to bring him in? Yeah, let's do on. it. Gil Perez Abraham, welcome to the show. Yo. <laughs> 
It's great to my stock, boys. Excellent, man. Yeah, super good. Great to great to see you. Um, you know, it's always as you know about this show. We're all about kind of bringing visibility and highlighting the diverse voices that are out there, kind of making things happen in just a wide array of areas. So that's why when we heard about you know this film coming out, the Batman, and it's an amazing picture, and we heard about your role in it, we're like, man, we got to snap him up and have a conversation. Thanks, man. I really appreciate that. And that's one of my like one of the things I'm most excited about. Is I'm like, I walked out thinking because my, my dad and I share the same name. I was like, is like, what are what's my dad gonna think when he sees his name scrolling as a? Oh, as a I love that. And then I was like, what are my people gonna think when they see? That's it? right. I know if I would have seen this when I was young, you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. I would have left there like, Palante, yo. <laughs> right. You know, and, and Gil, one of the things you're just to kind of jump right into this uh, that I find really interesting, even when looking thinking about this film, is how it rethinks characters and actually puts diverse people in positions that we're not always used to seeing, right? That they don't have to be right. simply just a criminal. Like the, you know, you think about the stereotypical stuff that we've seen historically, and and I think this film does that. Your character, there's Zoe's, there is um, um, Jeffrey Wright, Jeffrey Wright Amy. for Gordon, right? Like, there's all these characters that are. Rethought with diverse voices, diverse characters, but yet, the, honestly, the thing is refreshing. And I'm, I'm curious to hear from your perspective. Like, it wasn't really controversial. At least I didn't hear. It. You know, sometimes you get the the whole like someone getting recasted that maybe traditionally in the comics was was potentially Anglo, and then being diverse it becomes a little of an issue. In this film, I didn't hear it at all. Maybe it was just me, but I'm curious from your perspective, taking that kind of role, how you feel about it. Was your perspective in seeing this kind of rethinking of characters and and the opportunity that creates, you know, kind of going forward. You know, I, I felt like one of the things that I didn't know, like, like I loved a, a, a lot of the Batman franchises, like, over time. And one of the things that I didn't notice that I've been missing the whole, like, a lot of the time, and this isn't throwing arrows or anything, it's just saying it straight as it is. I was like, I never really felt until now that Gotham was Gotham. Mm, like, this is the right. first time I saw the movie, and I was like, oh, yeah. this is, yeah, of yeah, course, of course. It's like, because like, cause Gotham is meant to model, right, like some of these great big American cities. And it's like when – it's very interesting, you know, when you have like a police force, for instance, that doesn't have people of color in it. Or, right, or, yeah. Or even in this case, I mean in the movie, we're represented on both sides. And so I don't know. That That's like it, – it's – I think one of the most – for, for me, it's like it's in the theme of the project. Mm-hmm. Like the everybody's got a spot in this fight regardless of their class and color yeah um but then i feel like that theme like for 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 the viewer you know what i mean for the person that that is coming to the movie like i I don't know i think there's something beautiful about that there's something special about that and there's something that makes that that puts the movie on another level because it's like sometimes it is contrived and you and and people will complain and they'll find they'll find ways to poke holes at the diversification sure but in this case specifically you're like it's not necessarily a mirror of real life but it is a kind of life that allows you i think you guys saw the mm-hmm. movie it allows you to kind of view the world i think as more as more plausible as more tangible yeah i think it drives uh, that relatability for sure and i know we we're not absolutely we're not going to do any spoilers obviously here on this show because the movie comes out tomorrow and everybody can check it out for themselves but on that note i mean i definitely that it drives relevance it drives authenticity that's the difference between just Maybe these efforts in the past that have been more about box checking and less about telling a really compelling story. And the difference between this film is the utilization of that. And I would even even say maybe WB across the board doing more investment in this area is that it, it comes across in a different way because it's more real. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's more real and you see yourself, you see your neighbor, you see you see the person that lives that you know, I mean, you see a person that lives right above you and I felt like there there's you're missing something in your storytelling. And I would think that forever on after seeing this movie. Mm. When you don't have that piece of the pie, when you don't have that piece of the puzzle, because for for whatever reason the community is sidelined. So, like in this case, when you see the community being heralded, and you see the positive effect that it had on the movie, and how enthralling it is as an audience member to get brought into that world, right. that authentic world, yeah. that world that makes you say, like, "Yo, this is real, like my everyday life." Yeah, I think that's going to set a new standard. Yeah, that's a, um, yeah. and I'm hoping that we're seeing that married to like the, as how big the cinema is of this movie. I hope we see that married together to inspire a lot more moments like that. Uh, yeah, I think you're hitting a couple of themes here. There's obviously that rep- representation in this film that does make it feel more like real life, which is really important, right? And and frankly, even as we were thinking about having this conversation with you, a couple of thoughts came up. One is, you know, whenever we think about comics historically. You know, comics tend to be a forum that, that would do a great job of doing social commentary, right? And sort of having the freedom because there, there are these imaginary worlds to be able to tackle issues that maybe society, to some extent, wasn't really ready to sort of think about. Think about X-Men and like racial, you know, issues that, that they really were addressing really early on. Yeah. And I, I agree with you. When I, think, when I think about this film, I hadn't thought about it. Uh, you just described it. But because it is much more integrated, but it looks more like the real world. It kind of gives it more freedom to tackle those bigger issues. Like, what role do you see, sort of this Batman movie franchising playing? Maybe an active role there. Like, what are some of the issues that you think it, it does a good job of, or trying to tackle? Or maybe, and as you think about that franchise going forward, what are some other issues you think that it could actually look at and try to explore, as is sort of you know developing story, et cetera. I think it, it's really interesting that we're in this young because we're with young Batman right now, yeah, and we're with young Gotham. And something that really shook me was um, the good and the bad that we saw in all of our, let's say, in all of our Caucasian characters, right? Mm -hmm. Just, I felt like we saw a lot of good and a lot of bad in Batman and the Riddler. Like, like there was kind of like an argument for everybody. And then in in our in our people of color, I feel like we're seeing that same kind of that same kind of argument. There's a lot of good here. There's a lot of bad there. So if I'm combining those two things together, and I'm like going forward like like going forward into the universe i'm wondering like how much of the message of the movie was inspiring for how many different themes that are going on with us right now and then how is that going to play out with the universes that are being built Mm, right because you know you guys saw the project there's a lot of different opinions represented in the project sure Mm -hmm. On both sides and both. And I feel like, you know, this isn't like, I don't know, you know, but I feel like in, in the way that Matt kind of like ended up writing and presenting the project, it's like, I see that good and evil in every single character. So I'm wondering, like moving forward, it's like, how much of that is going to stick and how much of that is going to like affect our reactions moving out of the theater, walking out when we're thinking about the themes, because at the end of the day, it's like all these people are working together. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. You know, you know what was really interesting. What you you were talking about right now, and it was my sort of reaction when seeing the film is that 
I think many times when you think about some of these comic books or, frankly, these characters that have been sort of done in different visions of them, right? They've been redone, repackaged over, you know, the, 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 the different interpretations of them. And watching this film, it is a pretty fresh take. I, I, you know, I was surprised how much of a fresh take it actually was. And the, the point you just mentioned about because it's looking at a young city of Gotham, a young version of Batman. Batman. Yeah. And, and a lot of it, like I walked out, I was talking to Charlie, I'm like, yeah, it actually makes to me even more sense to seeing those struggles, that that nuance that is not all always good, that you have to kind of go through some of that struggle in order to get to that better place. And that comes across really, really well. Like I really give the film a lot of credit for doing that. And you kind of, to your point, Gail, and you kind of see it across the board with all the characters, right? And, and that, what I find really, really interesting, that nuance, right? Um, and it goes back to, even when we go back to the rep- representation side, diversity, having a city of characters that look more like what is real life right now gives you more of that freedom, I, I think, to have more of a nuanced Absolutely. point of view into that, into that sort of representation of the, of the story. Absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And I think it's inviting more of us to sit down and take it personally. Yeah. Um, because I took so many different people's plights personally. Look, as an actor, it's like I, I didn't think I would find any empathy in the Riddler. But watching the movie, I found a lot. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Yeah. I, watching the movie, I found a lot. And in that final scene, I guess, like no spoilers, but, you know, it's just like, yo, I mean, I found a lot, a lot of love for all the characters. And I found that. I found that they were characters that were, they, they seemed to be just acting from a place of passion. And I can say having been on set, everybody was on the top of their creativity and commitment. And um, I don't know, it's, it's really, really interesting because a lot of those themes I think are mirrored in the work that actually went into making the movie. Yeah. Um, hey, Gil, you mentioned Matt a moment ago. And for those who don't know, that's Matt Reeves, who's a director and also a screenwriter of this. And people may know him from his work on Planet of the Apes and Cloverfield, um, among a bunch of other stuff. And for sure, I, I affirm the comments that you made. My question is this, because about showing that good and evil in each character, I agree that that's reality. That's the representation. That's what drives this authenticity. We've been in a period historically, maybe looking back, where a lot of that hasn't happened on a negative side, meaning we're only showing bad in certain communities and not the good. Do you feel that there could be also a danger of going in the other direction? Meaning, because someone is from a particular community, not talking about things that are specific challenges or areas of you know, moral improvement or whatever it may be in a particular character? Do you see what I'm saying? Like, Do you think we can kind of flip the script and end up being kind of bad, but in another way? I, you know, it, I do. I do. And I thought when, I, when I've discussed this project, like... Um, I've discussed it with, with some of my you know, close people in my circle. I've told them, I'm like, I think the project re- really sort of challenges you to, to put your face in, another, in the other person's struggle mm-hmm. to, to sit there. Because, you know, I'm sure you guys, like, there's parts when I was watching the movie, I, I cringed. Yeah. There was moments I kind of, I cringed. In a lot of the moments in the movie, I was kind of like, this is nasty. Mm-hmm. I even had a thought once. I was like, I can't believe they did this. I was like, I was like, man, this is. Crazy. I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. Like these boys went crazy, and um, but then in the aftermath, leaving, I'm kind of thinking to myself, I'm like, so there's ways we as a community can aid each other to avoid the creation of certain of these types. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we because the person definitely made an argument in the movie for why they became the way they became. Sure, and it's fair when you're watching and listening, you know, and. Hey, the movie does a really good job of showing the police department and 
in um, the, the lights that are in the police department amidst a lot of that sort of darkness and corruption, trying to find that way out. So Yeah, um, and, and specific to that point, Gil, because you do play, you know, a cop in the film, you know, kind of walk us through your process or like how you went about. And, and by the way, I have a question about just you and DC and if you were immersed in that world before or not, like how much prep in general you had to do. But specifically playing that kind of law enforcement role in the situation we find ourselves today with so many very, you know, polarized ways of thinking about what that means. How, how, how does your experience kind of play a role in preparing for that? As a person of color, playing a, a police officer was both an honor and a fear. Mm. It was an mm. honor because I, I come from a family of, of military of military excellence. I come from a family of discipline. I come from a beautiful Venezuelan family. They were all in, in the army in Venezuela. My, my grandfather actually was in the guerrilla and like fought against... Oh, wow. um, um, they fought against the, the you know the the rebel separatists. So it's it's um it's definitely in my blood. And in the other side, though, you know, we live in a very um, polarized community right now, and the community has been polarized even more by police officers that are people of color that have been. I mean, we just saw actually what happened to the two officers in the George Floyd case, mm-hmm. right? So it, on one side, you know, I have like the. I have the thought, I have the process. I'm like, how can I bring myself with integrity and fortitude? Because I believe greatly in, in our armed forces and I believe in our police force. Yeah. I believe in the in the respect and the job that they uphold. I'm like, how can I bring my, my fortitude to this? But at the same time, portray the conflict that happens like when you, when, when you got to do, you know, when bats, you got to do bad to get good. Right. And so, you know, it's kind of interesting um, I guess we can talk about it a little bit because it's in the trailer, but like the Riddler's arrest, for instance, it's like, I was so hyped up. I broke Paul Dano's glasses. Yeah. And it's like, like, I was so hyped up in that moment that, like, but I felt to myself, I was just like, I was like, I do have to justify that. Like in the line of duty, a certain level of aggression comes out, whether you sure. are like, in the situation that you're in because, because of the stakes that exist. So I definitely wanted to toe the line because I do feel like there's there's so many heroes that deserve to be portrayed the right way. But then I, I also did feel like as a as a police officer, you know, it's like you're it's not just that you're like trying to like be good and maybe just like be a caricature of like a good guy or a good cop. Like ugly comes out too. And I tried to focus on letting that ugly come out. And in a lot of my crafting before, that was where I put a lot of my focus was like where can I hide that little ugly? So that it comes out when push comes to shove, mm. like at the beginning yeah, of Batman, that. Or yeah. later on, so that when that ugly's ready to come out, I'm ready to go, you know, f someone up, mm-hmm. um, or the same way I'm ready to stand up to Batman. You know, the vigilante, another part of the conversation, like um, how did I feel about him? You know, it's like I don't know. In the crafting of it, I felt like maybe he was more akin to a terrorist than a cop. Mm. And right. then, like, how did I nurture that conversation as the movie went on and our relationship evolves? Yeah, and that's yeah. and that suspicion uh, again. No spoilers, but that suspicion and that tension, kind of beneath the scene, from what we've seen, or beneath the you know what's happening in, in in reality, is pretty palpable, right? You can kind of see a little bit of that tug and that struggle, but that's real. Yeah, you know, and even what you were saying earlier, Gil, I think part of the the creating empathy is actually having showing a more nuanced version of things, 
right? Because I think to me, yeah. that's probably, it's been part of the challenge historically. Is when we think about even look when we, when we think about police officers in film and television, you know, you always have good guy, good cop, bad cop, but they're both good in the sense that everyone's kind of cheering for them for the most part, right? Right. And then the ones that are bad are really bad, right? So you have these two kind of extremes, caricatures to use your word, Gil. Right, and I think part of the great storytelling and great ways to create empathy and with these complicated issues is to show that it actually is a pretty broad range. And at the end, of the day, these are people. Even to your point, like letting that kind of rage kind of get the best of you in a moment, it's also understandable why they be the case. Like you're literally under terrorist attack, and you finally are catching the person. Right, like there's so much there that I think actually helps by showing a more nuanced version of people being people, regardless of what hat they actually wear. And I, I was really trying to cultivate too, actually, to just jump off what you're saying that, like, who is Martinez like under the under the shroud? Mm-hmm. Like, when like now that because we're like a movie, I suppose, is almost always taking place right over this like inciting incident. And I'm like, the inciting incident, what is it doing to Martinez? And my hope was that it was hopefully making you know him making me rise to the occasion, you know, right, like, right. act heroically, and and like maybe acting heroically isn't beautiful, or maybe. You know, like we know happens in, in the in the last scene, you know, maybe it's 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 a revelation. You know? Right, it's like, right. It's, it's it's very interesting how that manifests itself. And it, it was a very, very interesting journey because I knew from the moment that I went in that it was a big responsibility. Um, but it was also funny because, you know, I expected to meet these like monumental gods when I meet Matt Reeves and Dylan and Jeffrey and Robert. But instead, these are the most humble, down-to-earth men yeah. in the world who are giving a young Latino space as an artist. Yeah. And they're not even like, I mean, you know, it's like I'm looking at them and they're just, they're asking me like, what do you think? And I'm looking back at them like, uh, yo, um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think we can do it. You know, and it's like, and then hearing your opinion heard and that building over time, like, I don't know. It, it was, it was very, very informative, like to, to the journey because they kind of felt like mirrored kind of experiences. Yeah. Like the intensity of the shoot felt like the intensity of the inciting incident and um, I don't know. It's, it's very, very interesting. It's very, very, very interesting. Gil, when you think about what you bring to a to a role, as you're thinking about like what your motivators are, how you're gonna play this, you know, what role does your Latino identity sort of play in this, right? Because on on one hand, you're obviously playing a Latino cop. In this case, even your last name is a very clear Martinez. But how do you then not let that turn to be the then the air quotes Latino cop? Meaning, like it's part of who you are. But keep yourself in a manner where it's 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 part of that DNA of who that person is, but doesn't have to like lead with uh, oh because he's Latino, therefore he's this way, or therefore he's that way. Exactly. How, how do you think about that? Because I, I was really curious about this. Obviously, in this specific case, once again, you have a lot of different characters that are diverse in this in these roles that are not at least historically we're not thought of diverse roles, right? You know, Catwoman yeah. and, and Gordon and all that. Like, so I'm, I'm really curious for you. How do you like? What's that preparation kind of mindset that you bring in, and how you think about that, that character development? Well, it's like the first and foremost thing is like my every single thing that I do as an artist is is fed by the fact that I'm a first generation that I'm thinking, you know, it's like I, I'm like, you know, I, I kind of I feel sometimes like I have that like rapper mentality as an actor where I'm thinking about like, like my mom and then where does she need to be in 10 years and my dad and like, and like, how am I going to send this money to my cousins in Venezuela and how am I going to get my cousin in, in Madrid some help and how am I going to do this and that and like so all of that is always informing all of my work. And I almost feel like maybe it's the only reason why I work as an artist is because I feel like this is like the only method I can make right 
with that with, with that like with that paquete that I'm carrying. Yeah, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah. Um, but then even when I was thinking of Martinez, I was like, I was like, well, I'm not like this isn't some just like young pretty boy cop. This is a guy who is is dreaming of the occasion to come where like he can become like the like a hero and be a commissioner and like and and move up in the world and like I felt like in some senses like I, I really love a lot of the 80s playwrights and I always learn from these New York playwrights like like if you have this big aspirational goal that sort of like seems to mirror your own in life like just just work with that thing mm-hmm. and I felt like the same way as like Martinez like okay so I'm not just like a Latino actor like I'm this thing with a voice that's trying to get more people behind me, behind the table, get more people like me in front of the table. And um, I was like, that thing in the movie, it just kind of like, it mirrored itself. So it's like, if I was going to go in and I felt like, you know, in the middle of the movie, I felt like Gordon had me on assignment, then it was like the most important assignment in the world. The same way that acting in the movie was the most important thing in the world to me in that moment. Mm -hmm. And so it was just like, and every single time I was like, the way I carry my Latinidad is I got to be a beast when Matt Reeves calls on me and he needs me to go into the to the game and he's going to get in the ring and do that thing. Yeah. I need to be a beast. And when I come off the chair and they put in the water on my face and all that stuff's happening, it's my job to be a beast. Yeah. And that's how I'm representing my Latinidad. And I look at guys like Oscar Isaac and how is he being a beast for our people? He is putting on in every single piece of work that he does. You hear that he's humble. You hear that he's hardworking. So we have examples of this yeah. in our culture now where like where like Latinos are, are making ourselves like we're not just like responsible for our come up, we're making ourselves responsible for our future. Mm-hmm. And so like to me, I was like, man, I'm carrying Venezuela, I'm carrying the neighborhood, I'm carrying everybody. <laughs> I love and that. And at the same time, it's like, yo, like when he calls on that monster, like open the cage because I'm coming in. Now, when I watched the movie, I kind of laughed at myself a lot. Yeah. <laughs> That's got to be crazy to see yourself. Because I thought I was like, yo, this dude's taking this shit too seriously. Way, way too intense. <laughs> Dude, that one too many Red Bulls. Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, this dude's like a little like, I, and when I watched it after, I was like, yo, this dude's over energetic. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's intensity throughout like, the entire it, film. I mean, it, it is, I mean, it's beautifully it's, shot. It's part and of the super theme, fast yeah, paced, yeah. but there's definitely that intensity. Um, and, and Gil, we got just one quick note because we got to get you on your way. But um, one quick note on this whole idea of the benefit and the burden of the Latinidad, right? You call it beast mode. And that's the thing is it's like, yeah, maybe it's an extra thing that we have to do across all these different elements of our life. But when we do it and we nail it, it's also kind of a differentiator, right? It's like a, it's like a, it's a great gift that we can kind of bring to the world, lift ourselves up and everybody else with us. You know, I felt like there were, there were times like, um, I don't know, sometimes towards the beginning of the movie, I like, I don't know what happened. I joked around with Matt in Spanish. And then, dude, every every once in a while I'd see him and he'd like be quoting a line to me and then he'd say a word in Spanish. And then like, it's like, <laughs> like over time I was, I was thinking to myself, I was just like, wow, man, like I couldn't believe and I, and I told so many people in my family, I was like, I couldn't believe how celebrated I felt as a young Latino because I was like, that's great. Yeah. I, I don't even think, honestly, like, it's like, when they, when he, when he would talk to me or like when he would work with me, it was like, he was waiting for me to kind of open the box and share some stuff and share some secrets. Like he wasn't trying to tell me anything. Like he wasn't trying to direct, like tell me what to do or direct any of it. He would let me open the box, share some things here, share something there. I would feel like, man, I think I just embarrassed myself. And he was like, all right, that's great. We're moving forward. (laughs) 
very, very practical. Yeah, man. Look, I think that uh, yeah, exactly. you know you you mentioned Venezuela. I, I I'm, I'm Colombian, but I grew up in Venezuela in Caracas, and I can tell you that my hope is that you know folks seeing you this performance, this film, which is a major franchise, big blue chip film. Um, that they get that kind of inspiration and kind of turn on that beast mode and all the different things that they do. And uh, yeah, it's it's a really, really incredible project. And, uh, you know, we're just really privileged to have had the conversation with you. I'm very, very, very humbled to have been on here. I really appreciate it, guys. Thank you. Awesome. And for everybody listening, film comes out tomorrow. One last note is that this is the first theatrical-only release from Warner Brothers in the last couple of years. So this is really a truly cinematic in-person experience, and everybody should go check out The Batman. Thanks, Gil. Thank you, Gil. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charlie. If you enjoyed this episode of the Diversity Remix, please remember, first of all, to subscribe and help us to spread the word. Tell your friends, family, co-workers, and give us a five-star review. We're available on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else you get your listening fix. And lastly, please remember to stop by blackbrown.us, the creator of this podcast, and take a look at our work and our approach at the intersection of diversity and business. The Diversity Remix is produced by Leo Gomez. The Diversity Remix is a production of Black Brown. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu accreditation.